Welcome to Boosting Your Financial IQ, a podcast for investors, business leaders, entrepreneurs, and individuals looking to transform their organizations and lives through greater financial literacy. I'm Steve Coffrin, and I'll be your guide as you seek to better your financial life. I turn around, grow, and invest in high potential companies, and I'm here to teach you the fundamentals of accounting and finance so you can speak the language of money and act intentionally to drive greater financial value. Are you ready? Let's do this. Thanks for joining me for another episode. Before we get started, remember that this content is for educational purposes and should not be construed as financial or legal advice. See the podcast notes or byfiq.com for a full list of disclaimers, terms, and conditions. Now on to the episode. Hey everybody, welcome back to another edition of Fin Weekly, where I provide friends just like you weekly updates on what's happening in the world of finance and the economy. My name is Steve Coffrin, and today is Thursday, May 25th, 2023. Okay, so let's get started. We're gonna kick things off with an update on the debt ceiling debate. We're getting closer to the anticipated X date, but there is still no deal in sight for the US debt ceiling increase. Negotiations between key Republicans and Democrats have hit a roadblock, and it would seem like there are no further meetings planned, according to Republican Representative Garrett Graves. With the June 1st deadline just around the corner, only six days away, or four if we exclude weekends, the U.S. Treasury could run out of cash to meet its obligations. While House Republicans will continue their internal discussions and remain open to more talks, the debt ceiling standoff adds strain to the already fragile U.S. economy, which is still grappling with the aftermath of Federal Reserve interest rate hikes. The Republicans are pushing for larger domestic spending cuts over a longer period, while Democrats are proposing smaller reductions over a shorter time frame, including limits on defense spending. House Speaker Kevin McCarthy opposes defense cuts and insists on the 72-hour review rule before a vote, putting further pressure on reaching an agreement. Meanwhile, Treasury Secretary Janet Yellen isn't holding back. She's sounding the alarm bells once again, and this time she's saying it's, quote, highly likely that the Treasury Department will run out of funds by early June. Mark your calendars because by June 15th, hey, that's one day before my birthday, it could get seriously tough for the U.S. to pay all of its bills. Yellen wasted no time and sent a letter to lawmakers emphasizing the urgent need for Congress to step up and raise or suspend the debt limit. This warning comes after previous alerts that the Treasury would exhaust its accounting measures by early June. Just to give you some context, as of May 18th, the Treasury's cash balance stood at $57.3 billion, which may seem like a lot for the United States. That's just a tiny amount of money leaving a meager $92 billion of breathing room under the debt limit. Economist at Goldman Sachs predicts that around June 8th or June 9th, the Treasury will hit a critical threshold with cash levels dropping below the assumed minimum of $30 billion. Picture this, a debt default scenario, sky-high borrowing costs, and a major blow to financial markets and the overall U.S. economy. Yellen's message is crystal clear. We can't afford to delay addressing the debt limit. Time's ticking, folks, and a swift resolution is absolutely essential. Moving on to short sellers. Short sellers continue to bet against regional banks. Now let's take a look at what's going on in the stock market. Regional banks had a pretty solid week with some of their best performances in a year. However, short sellers aren't backing down and are actually increasing their bets against this sector. 
The uncertainty surrounding regional banks like Zion's Bancorp and Truist Financial Corp is fueling the persistence of these short sellers. In the week leading up to May 19th, traders added a hefty $2.1 billion to their short positions in regional banks, making a net increase of about $2 billion compared to the previous week. Despite this, short sellers faced $1.1 billion in paper losses due to a 7.8% surge in Spider S&P regional banking ETFs. Adding to the mix, JP Morgan analysts expect bank stocks to face continued pressure and volatility given the ongoing crisis, regulatory concerns, and the overall uncertainty in the economy. Short sellers have taken advantage of the sentiment, adding around $205 million in short interest to positions in M&T Bank just last week. Even though Western Alliance reported deposit growth and eased investors' concerns about the lender's health, it still found itself on the radar of traders. On a positive note, PacWest saw a boost in its gains by 25% after announcing the sell of a $2.6 billion real estate loan portfolio to improve its liquidity. However, these gains were not enough to offset the substantial losses the sector has experienced this year. The S&P Regional Banking Index has fallen approximately 31% since January 2023, primarily due to failures of SVB and Signature in March, as well as First Republic Bank earlier this month. Short sellers have already raked in mark-to-market profits of $6.8 billion this year, indicating their continued success in betting against regional bank stocks. Now, I wanna pause here real quick because you may be thinking to yourself, wow, what a great idea. I should go out there and short regional bank stocks. But just remember, the downside of shorting a stock is almost infinite. I mean, theoretically infinite because the stock price can continue to go up and up and up and up and up. So if you're not familiar with the term shorting, essentially what you're doing is you're borrowing the shares of a company, hoping that the valuation of that business will decrease, and then later on you're gonna buy those shares back, hopefully at a lower price because the stock price will fall. The problem is, is if you borrow those shares, let's say you borrow them at $10, okay, and then the price drops to $2, and then you buy it back at $2, then yeah, you've made a hefty profit because it's fallen from $10 to $2. However, on the flip side, if you borrowed at $10 and for some reason it continues to go up and up and up and up and up, your losses can be theoretically infinite. But you have to be very careful, and I'm gonna illustrate this point when I talk about Carl Icahn at the end of this episode. So shorting could be good, but also it could be a very risky thing. So make sure you know what you're doing before you try any type of shorting strategy. Okay, moving on to hedge funds. Hedge funds are stocking up, no pun intended there. No, I'm just kidding. That was a pun, but it's just kind of dorky. After weeks of persistent selling, they are now in a rush to buy stocks on the S&P 500. In fact, according to data from Goldman Sachs Prime Brokerage Unit, hedge funds making both bullish and bearish bets have been purchasing US shares at the fastest pace since October of last year. And it's not just happening in the United States. Clients at Morgan Stanley have increased their net leverage to the highest level in 2023, and similar trends can be seen globally, with Japan's Topex index reaching levels not seen in 30 years, and Stocks Europe 600 index hitting a 15-month high. So what's driving this sudden buying spree? If you ask me, it's the fear of missing out on potential gains. Market participants are optimistic because they believe the Federal Reserve is nearing the end of its rate hiking cycle and that a recession may be postponed. To be determined, right? However, we must not forget that the market is still vulnerable. 
With the market's systematic equity leverage at a 12-month high, a significant market drop can trigger a massive sell-off. In fact, just yesterday, JP Morgan cautioned its investors to limit their exposure to equities, aka stocks, and instead consider investing in things like gold and crude oil. So you have to be very careful and be aware of this information because there is a lot of volatility in the market right now. While the recent increase in demand has pushed the S&P 500 higher after being stuck in a narrow trading range for six weeks, it hasn't been able to break past the key level that many people are closely watching, which is 4,200. The index briefly surpassed this level for two days, but has since dipped by 0.9% to 4,110 as of this Wednesday. Moving on to the world of insurance. In other news, American International Group Incorporated, AIG, has made an announcement that caught my attention. They're selling their reinsurance business to Renaissance Reholdings, LTD, for a whopping $3 billion. This deal involves handing over AIG's reinsurance businesses. Here's how the deal will be structured. Renaissance Re will pay $2.74 billion in cash and throw in $250 million worth of common shares in exchange for these valuable assets. This sale is all part of AIG CEO Peter Zafino's plan to streamline the company and free up some capital. In fact, it's expected to release $400 million in capital for AIG once the transaction is complete. From a business perspective, this deal holds strategic significance. It simplifies AIG's business model, reducing their portfolio volatility and creating opportunities for liquidity and capital efficiencies to speed up their capital management strategy. Renaissance Re has said that they see this acquisition as a way to strengthen their position as a global property and casualty reinsurer. They anticipate the benefits of gaining access to a significant book of reinsurance business in a favorable market environment. This, in turn, is expected to accelerate profit drivers such as underwriting, fees, and investment income. So it's a big move for both companies with exciting prospects on the horizon. Moving on to Charles Schwab. Some big news is that regional banks in the U.S. might start borrowing money from the investment-grade market. Charles Schwab recently raised $2.5 billion by selling bonds in other banks like U.S. Bank Corp., PNC Financial Services, and Truist Financial could do the same, aiming to borrow around $25 billion in the next three years to meet regulatory requirements. This is Charles Schwab's first bond sale since the banking crisis in March, which raised concerns about the stability of regional banks. While borrowing costs are still high, there was a slight improvement in financial company spreads last week. Although we don't have all the details yet, there is a proposal for regional banks with assets over $100 billion to issue long-term debt to meet their total loss-absorbing capital requirements. JP Morgan credit strategists predict that more regional banks will follow Charles Schwab's lead and seek new capital. This move can address liquidity issues, but it might not solve profitability concerns. Overall, the outlook for regional lenders seems to be improving this week, but there are still areas of pressure. As these banks face challenges in liquidity and profitability, it's important to keep an eye out on this development in the coming weeks. In other news, JP Morgan Chase & Company, the biggest bank in the United States, has raised its net interest income expectations after acquiring First Republic Bank. They now anticipate net interest income of $84 billion this year, excluding their trading business, up from $81 billion. However, they are less optimistic about their trading and investment banking divisions, projecting a 15% decline in revenue for both sectors. The bank is concerned about uncertainties regarding the Federal Reserve's plan and how consumers will respond to higher borrowing costs. 
JP Morgan's CEO, Jamie Dimon, emphasized the need to address the ongoing banking crisis and urge regulators to stop surprising the industry. The bank experienced an unexpected increase in deposits in the first quarter as customers sought safety and gained market share in retail deposits with many new checking accounts. Although JP Morgan shares have risen by 3.1% this year, they recently declined due to the market conditions. In the second quarter, the bank expects a 15% drop in revenue for investment banking and trading. And while credit conditions appear stable, the bank has said they expect a gradual return to normal throughout the year and has set aside reserves based on a projected peak unemployment rate of 5.8% in late 2024. Next up, let's talk about some updates from the banking world across the pond. Representatives from the European Central Bank, the ECB, have stated that they believe keeping borrowing costs high is necessary to effectively manage inflation. And if you remember from previous editions of FinWeekly, inflation over in Europe is piping hot. Despite the ECB's efforts to raise rates and some progress being made, such as falling energy prices, they are expected to continue increasing rates until they see more improvement. Higher interest rates are also causing credit conditions to tighten in Europe, similar to what's happening in the United States. Banks are becoming more cautious about lending to individuals and businesses. An ECB representative mentioned that the impact of these elevated rates on the economy and inflation will become more noticeable in the next few years, peaking in 2024. Although there may be negative consequences resulting from these historic rate hikes, the ECB's commitment to maintaining price stability through raising interest rates is crucial for ensuring long-term economic growth. Shifting gears to China, something else that is worth mentioning is that in China, there's been a notable government debt crisis, and I'm going to butcher this name. It's spelled H-E-G-A-N-G, which I think is Huagang a small coal town that has been facing financial struggles. Its debt is about twice its income, which is obviously a concerning sign for other heavily indebted cities in the country. China's total government debt is a staggering $23 trillion. Just like in the United States, we have $31.4 trillion. So as you can see, countries around the world are leveraged to the hilt. And this is exactly what we're dealing with right now. And until we have a way to deleverage the overall global financial economy, we are going to continue to feel this economic pain. So this situation in China has led to a range of issues in Huagang, such as reduced services, job losses, and delayed salaries. These developments are worrisome, obviously, for investors because they can hinder economic growth. Local governments are resorting to spending cuts and diverting funds from growth-focused projects to control spending. Unfortunately, although the risk of municipal default is relatively low due to Beijing's guarantee, the long-term sustainability remains uncertain. Many localities are struggling to repay their debts on time, and what's clear is that resolving this debt problem is crucial for China's economic stability. Otherwise, this can impede investments and put strain on local economies. And lastly, circling back to what I mentioned before, before we wrap up, there's another story making waves in the financial world this week. Billionaire investor Carl Icahn is caught up in a battle with short seller Hindenburg Research. On Monday, a report came out accusing Icahn of mismanaging his company, Icahn Enterprises LP, resulting in a substantial loss of $15 billion. Quite a blow, right? But it's not just about the money. Concerns are rising about the company's ability to sustain its high dividends, which is casting doubt on its long-term prospects. 
Is Icon worried? Not really. Despite being caught off guard, the 87-year-old has brushed off the allegations and remains resilient. However, taking a broader look, Icon Enterprises' stock has been consistently declining, plummeting over 60% in the past decade. Additionally, Icon's private investment funds have been underperforming in recent years. So if you didn't know this, Carl Icon took some short positions and he bet against the economy, and obviously that created massive losses for his firm. Known as the lone wolf of Wall Street, Icon has a history of targeting CEOs in corporate America, so it will be intriguing to see how things unfold in the coming months. So as I mentioned before, shorting stocks can be a risky endeavor and you really have to know what you're doing and the risks that are involved with these types of bets. Okay, so that's a wrap for Fin Weekly. If you are listening to the audio version of Fin Weekly and you wanna see the video, you can download the free Boosting Your Financial IQ app in the Apple app or Google Play Store, and there you can gain access to not just this video, but a lot of other cool tools and resources. In fact, this week I'm releasing an update to the economic indicator graphs that I put together in a trailing 12-month basis, which is a lot different from what you're gonna find out there on the internet where it's month over month. In a trailing 12-month format, you can see these economic indicators and really understand the story because it eliminates seasonality and it shows you the true trend. So make sure you download the app, check out the cool resources that we have made available just for you. It's free and it's easy to do. So get it on your phone or your mobile device. Also last week, I talked about the Business Strategy Podcast. If you're a business owner, a founder, a CEO, a business leader of any type, if you have P&L responsibility, or if you're an aspiring entrepreneur, you're definitely gonna wanna check out the Business Strategy Podcast. There I just lay it out very simply exactly what business strategy is and how you can implement it within your organization to drive greater value. So right now with all this economic uncertainty, you could either be fearful and be scared of everything that's going on or you could do something about it. And that's why I'm so persistent about teaching financial intelligence because if you understand how money works and how business works, you can be resilient in any economic condition. That is why it's so important to educate yourself, invest in yourself, and gain the tools that you need to be highly successful. Look, don't let the fear mongers get to you. Have faith, have hope in the future. That's what I'm thinking of right now. It doesn't matter, even if our whole economy collapsed, the dollar collapsed and is replaced by some other type of digital currency or something else, the world is gonna to continue to exist. There are gonna be buildings, there's gonna be homes, there's gonna be businesses, there's gonna be some type of currency and some type of financial market. That's why it's important to understand how these principles work together. So no matter what happens around you, you can choose your response and you can be successful. And that's what is so critical right now. You, you don't wanna be the person putting your head in the sand or being super scared to do anything right now out there in the world. So now's the time to hone in your skills, to get your financial house in order, and to focus on improving yourself and your business so you could be wildly successful in the future. Thanks for joining me for this edition of Fin Weekly. And look, if you get value out of this, will you tell your friends about it? Will you share this podcast episode or will you tell people about the Boosting Your Financial IQ app so they can get the video? That would mean the world to me. Also, leave me your comments. If you have any comments about the show, how I can make it better, things that you like, things that you don't like, I would love to hear from you. You can email me at steve at byfiq.com and your feedback is always welcomed. In the meantime, keep on working hard and more importantly, work smart, be ambitious, and remember to have faith and hope into the future. And in the process, be kind to people. Okay, that's all. Cheers. 
Hey, real quick, if you get value out of this podcast, it would mean the world to me if you would leave us a review. Also, if you want to be featured on the show, send me a recording with your name, your age, where you're from, and your question through a voice note or a video using your smartphone. Then email me the file at hello at byfiq.com. BYFIQ stands for boosting your financial IQ. So once again, it's hello at BYFIQ.com. If selected, I'll give you a shout out and answer your question for you and the entire community. One last thing, if you want access to additional resources that will help you fast track your path to financial freedom, visit BYFIQ.com or download our free app in the Apple or Google Play app store today. Thanks again.